Welcome to the Dallas Space Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Louder. Innovation comes in so many forms in so many different ways. We believe this entire Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex is covered with people innovating. We designed this podcast to highlight the innovative things those business leaders, entrepreneurs, creators, problem solvers, the real innovators are doing day in, day out. As always, this show is brought to you by my company, Louderco. We find companies' profits through artificial intelligence and better operations. Like when we helped a massive Fortune 500 company build out their AI strategy to create breakthrough new food and beverage categories. Or when we redesigned the operations of a $100 million services company to add $10 million in net profit to their bottom line. To learn more about us, head to our website, louderco.com. Be sure to download free guides and presentations like our Intro to Artificial Intelligence presentation, or see if your company's even ready for AI through our AI readiness assessment tool. We're about to get the show started. If you like what you hear, it would mean a lot to us if you subscribed and left us a review. And now, enjoy our guests and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Dallas Space Innovator Show. I'm your host, Andrew Louder. Our next guest, I'm very thankful for him to be on and make the time to be on the show here today. His name is Paul Singh. Paul is the CEO of U.S. Dermatology Partners, a leading practice management company with over 1,800 plus teammates across 90 plus locations in eight states. Previously, Paul served as the COO of North Star Anesthesia also a practice management company of which he led its successful sale in 2018. He's a growth-oriented healthcare executive and investor. He's passionate about building world-class healthcare organizations that deliver exceptional patient care experiences. For his work expanding dermatology healthcare services and revamping U.S. Dermatology Partners' internal structure, he was recognized this year by the Dallas Business Journal as a 40 Under 40 Award honoree which is where Paul and I actually met at the gala. We'll dig into that a little bit more later. Paul, uh, prior to being in healthcare, Paul founded a research analytics platform used by leading investment managers. And also earlier on in his career, Paul was in investment banking and private equity. He earned a BA in economics with high distinction from the University of Michigan, and he's an MBA from Harvard Business School. Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me on, Andrew. Wonderful. Well, Paul, usually I like to turn it over to our guests and let them give their one to two minute bio. So tell us a bit more about yourself. Sounds good. You, know, you really uh, you hit on some of the, the business highlights there. And as you mentioned, I'm running one of the largest uh, dermatology companies here based in Dallas. Uh, we are based here by the Galleria, but have operations all across the country in, in eight states with the pleasure of serving almost two million patients a year now, which, which is great. And, you know, always make sure that we don't lose sight that each one of those patients is not a number. It's someone's mother, someone's father, someone's sister, someone's brother. So although I'm not a physician, I try to spend as much time as possible uh, on, on the ground, boots on the ground, and try to understand the, the patient experience. Uh, born and raised in, in Michigan, actually, so a suburb of Detroit, but have lived all yeah. over. And when um, you know Dallas has been home for the past eight years, with wife and I are proud Texans. We made a She's from California. I'm from Michigan. We made a let's move to the middle of the country, and then a, a nerdy spreadsheet-driven decision to come to Dallas. But it's been uh, <laughs> been great, and we can't see ourselves living anywhere else. 
Yeah, I'm glad to hear your analysis uh, worked out well. Yeah. I love Dallas. So much diversity, so much business opportunity, great place to live. So I'm glad you, you found that on your Excel sheet. That's good. Um, I also like to hit on how we met. I mentioned in the intro, we are both um, grateful recipients of the 40 Under 40 by Dallas Business Journal. And I had the great coincidence of being of, of sitting at the same table as you at the gala. It was great to meet you there, and uh, it's a great occasion for both of us. And then I think also somewhat coincidentally, our friends over at Project Mockingbird connected us to, to bring you onto the show. So I'm grateful for that. Um, so why don't you tell us a bit, Paul, about U.S. Dermatology Partners? You know, I mentioned the word a couple of times, practice management company, maybe even telling us a bit about what those are. Sure. So we uh, provide all the services that allow a doctor to practice medicine. So we are not, I'm not a physician, but all the administrative services. So scheduling patients, um, whether it's, you know, the billing aspect of it, uh, the marketing and all the facilities management. So we find locations, we build them out. Uh, we hire all the staff. So HR credentialing, all, everything has to do with the business side of running a, a practice. And then we partner with great physicians who really are the ones that are in the exam room uh, delivering that service. And so we always think about our vision our, is to build a premier dermatology care community in America. Uh, for us, that really means delivering on our purpose every day. Our purpose is to deliver ethical and exceptional patient care experiences. So the patient cares table stakes that's what happens with the interaction with the doctor, but all of us have been to the doctor's office and your experience is what surrounds the patient care. So you can have the best doctor in the world, but if you're waiting in the lobby for an hour or you know, you don't have any transparency on how much it's gonna cost you or, or took you a month to get in the first place, hard to have a really good uh, view of that experience, even though you might have a, a fantastic uh, clinical care outcome. Got it. So what, what would you say have been some of the biggest challenges Recently, let's say, let's just table it as like over the last year or so mm -hmm. um, in the healthcare space you're in and providing that patient care. Sure. So, you know, when people think of dermatology, they typically think of med spa services. And while that's a small and important part of what we do, our largest focus is on detection and treatment of medical problems and, and specifically skin cancer, right? It's one in five Americans will develop skin cancer by the age of 70. It's one in three for Texans. And the wow, I didn't survival that. rate is is high, you know, 99 plus percent for melanoma if you would get treated, you know, uh, or with early detection and treatment, right? The payment associated with that is almost all Medicare or commercial insurance. And on the Medicare side, you know, we've all know all about the unprecedented inflation on all things, right? Cost of living, wages, et cetera. We want to make sure that our, our team members are getting paid a, a livable wage. But in their infinite wisdom, the government's been cutting down our reimbursement. So since January of 2021, reimbursement for things like skin cancer are down 2% and with another 4 to 8% of cost cuts looming. It's challenging with the rising costs. You have a critical service you're trying to provide and you know, your largest source of uh, funding is is getting cut. Uh, the other side of it also would say availability of talent. I think with, with COVID, you know, our team is on the front lines every day working with people. 
and more and more folks have decided to get out of the, the service type of roles and and be more in remote settings you know for, for one of the reasons they've been retired or you know they're able to find different ways to earn a living so taking those two things together you know with rates coming down and availability of talent makes it challenging to deliver a service-based business so let's say i'm a practicing dermatologist mm -hmm. i have my own practice i'm having to not just serve patients but basically run the business as well I'm getting sick of that. I don't know really what I'm doing. Is that when I need to turn to you guys? That's right. I mean, and there's, that's a, a great use case and usually the most predominant use case. Other times it's, you might be retiring, but you have no succession plan. You know, you have a, uh, okay. you've been serving some patients for 30 years and, you know, there's nobody, you know, today's graduating dermatologists are less interested in being small business owners than maybe people were 30 years ago. Part of it is because it's way more complicated. And, and as far as regulations higher, the uh, people are graduating with more medical loans. They want more work-life balance. So they're much more interested in joining an established organization than maybe, you know, single shingle running it on their own. So yeah. when these doctors are trying to retire, you know, they're trying to work with folks like us to make, make sure there's continuity of their legacy in, in patient care. Got it. So then what does that process look like once I, I do reach out, come to that decision, I want to reach out and I say, yeah, let's go for it. You know, let's bring you guys in. I need your help. What's that pr process look like from there? Sure. So I, the most important thing for us is really a, a good cultural fit, right? It's is a, a people business, right? It's ensuring that the, the doctor's philosophy aligns with the rest of the doctors in our group. You know, so very early on in that process, we want our physician, so we have a physician leader in each one of our markets uh, to also meet this person, uh, ensure that we think about the clinical side of things similarly. And if that all aligns, right, and there's also metrics that we can look at to make sure that the clinical quality is in line with our, our standards, uh, then we figure out what the person's objectives are. Are they trying to retire in the next one to three years? Are they actually, initial thing that you outlined, maybe they're not ready to retire, but they're more interested in doing less administrative work and want to spend more time, you know, practicing medicine. In either scenario, we have to ensure that there's a good transition plan. So if they're if they're leaving, is there other 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 doctors in that practice that can increase their their workload, or do we have to recruit somebody in? So really ensuring that 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 transition is very smooth from a patient care perspective is the main focus of, of our diligence. Got it. Okay, so now I've kind of left that administrative stuff to UDP. I'm able now to focus more on practicing, right? Is that then, do you see it like frees up the doctors to take on more patients ultimately? They can, it just depends on the life stage that they're in, you know, oh, right, right, right. You know, if they're, if they're working four or five days a week clinically, but they're also working, you know, an extra, extra day administrative, that administrative time goes down and they can continue to do clinically. Some do increase their workload. Yeah. Oftentimes they keep that the same, but are now spending more time doing you know, other pursuits. That's great. That's nice yeah. to have that option. Gives them right. a lot of flexibility. That's awesome. So, Paul, one thing I noticed um, is you guys have a program called the Outreach Program. Mm -hmm. um, from what I can tell, it's a really noble mission. I'd love for you to just tell our listeners what that is and really the impact it's making. Sure. So, so the largest challenge from a consumer or patient side for dermatology is lack of access, right? And if you try to go be seen by a dermatologist, even in a 
in the city of Dallas, you know, it could be weeks or months until you can can be seen. Now, if you go to a rural area, uh, that that could be even even longer or non-existence. Right? There's yeah. there's markets where there are no dermatologists in that market, and people are driving one, two, three hours to to come in to be seen. And you know, if you look at the CDC, they'll say that the rate of cancer uh, for people that live in rural communities is much higher. Uh, for urban residents, right? They're, they're, people are dying prematurely. I think part of that is because if, if you make things inconvenient, that that early detection doesn't happen, right? Or that early treatment doesn't happen. People are foregoing care. So our view was, hey, we can do do well financially while doing good by opening locations in areas that are underserved and don't have access today. And what's unique about our model is that you know we're looking for places that are 60 to 90 minutes away. So you know if there's procedures that can't, we don't do all things in our, our rural markets, right? It's more about preventative care, but if they do have a, a condition that's more complicated or they need skin cancer removal, then they can drive into a hub, right? So that's great. you yeah. might as well, you know, you can go and, and find, uh, if you know you have a problem, you might be willing to drive, but if you don't even know if you have a problem, you know, yeah, make, bring coming to your backyard is, is a lot easier. So, well, our plan is to open uh, 30 new locations. So we announced that last year and Proud to say that in the first six months we already opened 12, and Ron oh, takes to open another another 12 this year. So I think we'll we'll blow that goal out of the water. And the demand for the patients has been tremendous. And then even more surprisingly for me, the demand for doctors and other uh, providers to live in these markets has also been tremendous, which has historically been the bottleneck for this type of project. Wow, that's uh, that's incredible progress. Congrats on that. Thank you. Um, that can't be easy. Twelve in one year, and then um, actually last six months, right? Yeah. Incredible. Um, what are the patients saying so far? I'll bet they're enjoying all that. No, very happy. We get great. We track uh, every patient review um, through this program called BirdEye. Whether it's most of them are on Google, so on average we have four point nine uh, stars across thousands of reviews, and 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 the most important metric is they keep coming back. So our Eighty percent of our patients are repeat patients, so that, you know, they're very happy with the service. Yeah, what an amazing impact! In, in order to do that, and I'm going to shift us over to um, a, a term that you've mentioned a few times, either in, in even the the Dallas Business Journal interview and even in your intro here, but digital transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like it's been a key focus to you. It's been a big one across the healthcare industry in general, I think, for a while now. Um, how how would you describe that for you? What does that mean? And um, when will we finally get to a wonderful health, you know, di- finalization of all this digital transformation for the patient care experience? I'll share a personal anecdote after that. Sure. Uh, I would say it's a, a continuous implementation improvement process. I, I don't think we'll ever be done. The the way I view digital transformation is what can we learn from other industries or, or other countries that we can apply to the U.S. healthcare system? We, we don't have to invent the next Snapchat here. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. But we're all we're patients in healthcare or consumers in other aspects of our life. So, you know, if you go to uh, any other you know retail service, if you're trying to get a you know, go to Massage Envy, you can call somebody and if they can't see you in one location, they'll give you an option to go somewhere else, right? You can go online and, and book appointments for all sorts of things. You know, if you, so there's all these other uh, expectations that we have as consumers, you know, I can get a 
case of Diet Coke sent to me in six hours on Amazon Prime, but I can't see a doctor for a year, right? Like it's crazy. Right. Um, so the, I think it's just taking what other industries have done well and seeing what of those things adapt to this, the experience and really viewing patients as consumers in healthcare as well and, and making that more frictionless. Um, that's how we're thinking about it. It's the service delivery aspect of it. Um, that we're, that we're applying to, to digital transformation. And where are we in the continuum? I still think we're early on, right? And yeah. you know, the, the more innovative consumer services companies will continue to improve their service level. So we'll have to catch up, uh, but that's okay. Yeah, I was thinking a lot about digital transformation recently, which sounds really nerdy, but like um, I had a procedure done on my knee mm -hmm. at a healthcare system that I will remain nameless here. Um, so I went to the orthopedist, filled out all the paperwork, took about 30 minutes. I went to the surgery center, did all the paperwork, took a long time, went to physical therapy, another 30 minutes filling out the paperwork. And I'm like, man, like there's, I mean, what year are we in? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, right. How is this right? happening? Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. um, same health system. I, I get it. We've had health clients, health, healthcare clients in the past and it's pretty disparate systems and all that, but. Man, it, it was painful. Um, we're ready for a change, <laughs> essentially. Um, well, good. So let's uh, let's move into our lightning round. So sure. lightning round, we'll get into more like the personal side of things, and some answers will be fast, some not so much. We'll dig into it. But um, I'm really curious to hear, what do you wish you had known when you started your career? Oh, if you can go back and tell your younger self something, what would that be? Uh, it would be be bold. Uh, the world belongs to optimists, right? Those that, that can take risk and shape things to their will are the ones to succeed. Like anyone can point out a flaw in any in an idea or a business, you know, in five minutes, right? Yeah. The person who's successful is one who can see past that current limitation and develop some future vision and and, and figure out how to make it make it a reality. Do you think you've always been bold, or is that something you kind of capture along the way? Uh, I've learned to be more bold over time yeah. and learn to figure, figure things out. And, you know, it can be true for as simple as like a home renovation, see what can be there, right. Yeah. Or a complex investment transaction or, or starting a brand new business, but don't get, um, don't get dissuaded by, you know, challenges that are not yet solved. I love it. Yeah, that's a great quote. I think we'll use that in some of our posts. That's awesome. Uh, who or what would you say has influenced you the most? You know, I, I love reading about founders of other large organizations, understanding the origin story, what makes them tick, and what I can learn that apply to my own life and business. And whether you know those are the the Bezos, the Musks, the you know the the Google founders of the world, and you know, not they're not you know I think the society lionizes folks a little bit. They're still human beings, but yeah. there's elements of what they did created a tremendous amount of value for. For society that you can learn from. Got it. So, would you say you're a big uh, like book reader, or kind of into biographies, things like that? I do. I try to always have a one fiction and one nonfiction book that I'm reading at the same time, and I want to kind of learn something new and another like pure yeah. entertainment escapism. Yeah. What are you learning about right now? Uh, the learning one is it's it's a little hard to get through. I'll be honest with you. It's yeah. a, a book called, uh, it was like one of those Bill Gates uh, reading books, uh, reading list books. 
Yeah. And it's about how the world really works. And the whole premise is about the role that fossil fuels play in everyday lives in terms of like energy, food production. And there's all this talk about going clean and decarbonization, but we don't really understand how things work anymore because we're so devoid from like, you know, food, you know, growing food as an example, right? So if we didn't have fossil fuels, you know, we wouldn't be able to feed 4 billion people. So it's like electric cars right. and like, you know, are, are not going to get it done. We need to fundamentally solve some of these other issues if we're really, if we're really serious about decarbonization. So that was really interesting to at least have like a, a basis by which to be able to, you know, determine whether all these things called Inflation Reduction Act, which have some elements that might help, but others that, you know, are yeah. really climate change uh, are really going to really going to work. Yeah, that feels like a a big, hairy, audacious goal, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's a really does. Yeah. that's a big one. I think you're right. Like the electric cars are just a small, small piece of the pie, right? Yeah. Um, at least we're all able to kind of play a part in that. What would you say is your coffee of choice? Really, an Americano. I uh, I like espresso, but I need more volume, so don't want to have four of them. So I just try to <laughs> make it last longer. Yeah, there you go. What about your adult drink of choice? Uh, probably what you know, like everybody trying to you know cut back, but Japanese whiskey, like a Yamazaki Twelve, would probably be my. Uh, wow, that's something I've never had. Yeah, I don't know if anybody who's ever been on the show has mentioned the Japanese whiskey. Yeah, what got you into that? You know, I always liked uh, whiskey, bourbon, and uh, I had a mm -hmm. good friend of mine who gifted me a bottle after he came back from a, uh, was it, you know, I think it was, it might've been Yamazaki coming from back from Japan. And I was like, this is great. They just, they, they use Toyota process, you know, systems to, no way. <laughs> to, cool. to make really good whiskey. So. Wow. Who'd have thought? Yeah. Have you ever done the, the bourbon trail? I have not. It's on the, on the list. Yeah. I'd love to have someone does it with, uh, on bikes. That's fun. It's a little dangerous, but, but cool. No, don't do the bikes. Do uh, get, a, get a guided bus tour. Highly recommend that. Um, and I, I do. I will. Uh, I've got about ninety nine percent certainty they are not following the Toyota method of, <laughs> of creating their whiskeys over there. But hey, it's American made and it's good. Um, you mentioned already, and what book you might you're reading right now? What what other podcasts or shows or anything like that are, are you listening to right now? Sure. Um, so I usually just listen to uh, the Wall Street Journal What's News podcast. So yeah. you get your daily dose of business news and you don't have to read headlines all day and, and kind of time box that uh, that aspect of you know being up to speed. That's good. And what uh, what would you say? You're a morning person or a night person? Yeah, naturally a night owl, but with a yeah. four and two year old, you had to you know, shift those hours at the shift a bit. Yeah, same here. I'm that night owl. Once 10 o'clock hits, if I'm still active and my brain's working, I'm, I'm back at it. Mm -hmm. um, what are some routines or hacks maybe you've set for yourself to be successful? Yeah, so I'd say, you know, every morning I like to review our daily business KPIs or key performance indicators. So I have all these reports that funnel into, uh, you know, preset folders and outlooks. So I can look at prior days, cash balance, cash flow, revenue, encounters by location, by provider, by, you know, as well as patient reviews. So a few things that, you know, I like to keep my pulse on and, and, and helps me sleep at night, but also get, get a sense of, you know, get some early 
warning indicators if, if things aren't working. And uh, the other thing I would say is just have a really good sleep routine. I'm not saying I'm perfect at it, but try to shut down the screens. Don't eat, you know, a couple hours before bed. I got the aura ring that helps me look in the morning to see, hey, did I do a good job? So I get that that positive reinforcement if I uh, if I was a good good boy that night or whatever. But uh, <laughs> and that that's made a big difference for me. Is just having less reliant than on caffeine, you just have a, a better productive day. Yeah, you hit on something there, Paul, I was curious about. Um, you mentioned KPIs, financials, how much of your background in investment banking or private equity is serving you today in your leadership role? Um, it, it's tremendous. I mean, yeah. that's the way the world, the way in which I view the world, right? And there's a, a lot of different ways to lead organizations, but I, I view, you know, my role as CEO is resource allocation and whether that's capital or, or you know people or time and you know a lot of what you do in investing is is just that you know capital allocation so thinking through things in a, in a data-driven fashion roi all that stuff comes very naturally to me incredible uh are you uh you mentioned that you have any dashboards you you tap into every day yeah just the, all the the kpis that i mentioned and we had you know revenue cycle management which is like yeah. the the lifeblood of a practice management company like the, the doctors view us as a building company essentially like we're, we make sure that we build the things correctly collect the money and, and adjudicate their payroll correctly that's like the, the core of what we do from an operational perspective yeah table stakes as you said right yeah all right are you an introvert or an extrovert more of an extrovert definitely yeah, um, yeah just been naturally wired that way you think that helps you in in running your business? I think so. I mean, it's a, you know, we have thousands of employees, hundreds of doctors, millions of patients. So there's a, there's a lot of humans involved. So it helps. <laughs> there are. I'm happy to engage with them. Yeah. Yes. Lots of humans. It's a good way to look at it. Uh, what do you look forward to the most each weekend? Spending time with uh, my daughters or, you know, as a, the four and two, they're in a, uh, really currently in a very sweet phase where they like daddy and, you know, I'm told that won't last forever, so I'm trying to take advantage of that as long as I can. Yeah, I keep waiting for a parent to that has older kids to tell me that it gets easier with <laughs> age, but they keep saying no, that it actually gets worse <laughs> or more challenging. Okay. Different, yeah, I heard it's more bigger kids, bigger problems, whatever. So. <laughs> I'm hoping the frequency of problems goes down, though, so you, they're bigger, but not as... Okay, all right, well, that, that's good. Yeah. Well, good, Paul. We're, you're out of the hot seat on the lightning round. Um, yeah. We alluded to it earlier in the show, but if if I wanted to learn more about the services you offer, how do I get started? Sure, you can go to usdermatologypartners.com. You can book a book an appointment with us, and you know, go from there. Wonderful. Well, Paul, I can't thank you enough for making the time to be on the show. Thank you. Appreciate it, Andrew. All right. Thank you all to the listeners out there. For tuning into the Dallas Space Innovators Show, I'm Andrew Louder signing out. That's our show for today. We hope you took away something valuable. Be sure to visit Louderco at louderco.com for more. Thank you again and stay tuned for more from Dallas Based Innovators.